0: having very high knowledge on U.S. state flags and international flags and I just like really really had a ginormous brain fart. Granted it was Sunday and I you know had just woken up from a food coma of doing a Sunday brunch buffet. (music)
1: Uh Live from the Twin Cities,
0: we are The Daves You Know,
1: this is The Daves I Know. You want me to be that type of dude And I
2: want to be who you like me to But we both know I can't do nothing at all
1: back to a, another week of the Dave Zeno podcast, a, a very triumphant week for Minnesota United, for uh, us individually and, uh, and everything. So how are you guys doing, Dan? How are you guys? How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Doing great. I am fun employed for the week before I uh, start a new gig next Monday, which I'm very, very excited about. And now being out of the policy sphere, uh, I can say something I've been meaning to say for pretty well since we started this podcast, which is fuck Donald Trump.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so someday we'll do a we'll do a sort of mini pod, and you can you can kind of talk a little bit about your job. I know it's it was interesting, and I was, you know, I, me and you chatted. I know a lot about it offline, and, and talking politics, you know, healthcare t- politics in particular. So I'm glad you are you are finally unleashed.
2: <laughs> it was yeah, it was a great gig. It was super super interesting work. Um, but one of the things that definitely weighed on me was like, this administration is not a typical republican administration like they're fucking something else and we couldn't say anything about it because uh you never want to jeopardize legislative relationships so yeah but fuck donald trump and uh honestly i hope i hope he gets on stage at one of these rallies where he's trying to tell everyone that voter fraud happens and just has a heart attack and shits himself aggressively that's really what i'm hoping for right now
1: so it doesn't die but just like shits his pants
2: yeah i mean like The president rolls heavy with medical equipment, and it's not just this one. It's just kind of always there. So it's Mm -hmm. actually fairly difficult for him to just sort of die of natural causes. We kind of saw that with the COVID thing. He has access to the best possible medical care. But once your heart starts going, there are only so many things that your body can kind of do at once. And losing control of your bowels is not all that uncommon. So (laughs) just as he's trying to do the, the big macho man thing, just absolutely just an unholy
0: amount of shit. Ah, MJ. Speaking, <laughs> how are you doing? You know, I'm just one glad that Dan's liberated from having a, a political muzzle on, on on his on his whole face. Basically, um, I, I'm sure it feels good to get all that out. And it, you know, even though we live in a free country, as they say, freedom isn't free. And Dan, you you've had to sacrifice uh, for that for our freedom, and we appreciate that. Uh, I'm doing great I was liberated in another way five of my favorite Sunday brunch buffets have been closed down for I don't know how long and are still and I found a new one that's open so I got to have a, a lot of food on Sunday before I watched the, the Minnesota United game and I felt liberated in that way and uh, they did it right all them I never touched the buffet or or the, the plates till they they uh, the server handed it to me so Okay. I was going to say, speaking of terrible ideas. I, I get to tell the <laughs> server what I want. They, they put a fresh pair of, of, of gloves on. I, I I put some hand sanitizer on so that when I grab the plate, my hands are clean.
1: Yeah. And... I've, I've worked a fair number of buffets that are like that. In my, in my, my service
0: industry days. So. I yeah. Was... Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I was very, uh, biscuits and gravy and cheesy hash brown and, and, uh, freshly made Omelette
1: happy. Very good. Very I'm, good. I'm well, I mean, I was going to transition to speaking of terrible ideas, patreon.com slash the days I know uh, to help support the days that you know. But so we have, we have actually a lot of talk about. We have the Chicago draw. We're going to very briefly touch on that. Talk about our win last night against FC Dallas. Talk a little bit about the craziness that followed that draw and what happened with the, the seating for the Western conference after that. And we have a few other things we want to discuss. Um, you know, Minnesota United players winning hardware over the weekend. All that good stuff. So let's just jump in. And the first match, we played a match on Wednesday. Um, when We were looking at these two matches last week. I think all three of us pegged this one as the one that we probably should win and probably needed to win if we wanted to host a home playoff game. Uh, I don't think we all pick it, picked a winner. I think, Dan, did you pick a draw?
2: I think I did.
1: Yeah. Um, and it ended up being a 2-2 draw. It was a It was a particularly terrible game. Uh, and it, it ended we were down two near two nothing. Um, about fifty, a little over 50, 50 minutes into the game, so six minutes into the second half. And uh, yeah, I don't. I was just I was watching this game and was very very pissed off and very very upset. Um, got a little tipsy and uh, sent some te- fired off some text messages. I probably I regretted Thursday morning. So, um, <laughs> but you know, Minnesota managed to come back and get the get the draw. Um, I, I really appreciated it in the, I believe it was like the 80th minute or so. Uh, Calvo getting totally owned by Robin Lude for the Equalizer. Uh, t- Francisco Calvo getting owned for a goal is uh, one of my favorite things. Something I masturbate to. Um, so yeah, is there anything you guys want to talk about with this game specifically? I, I, mean, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, so I'll, I'll give you guys the floor.
0: As a Lude fan and as someone who likes seeing Calvo getting owned, it was double pleasure for me. Yeah.
2: yeah I, uh... This is the uh, the first time we've seen Calvo completely lose a marker at Allianz, correct? I think so, yeah, because they we went to Chicago last year, so yeah. So, so yeah. Um, oh, no, because he would have played the home games, wouldn't he have, before he got traded? Oh, yeah.
1: right, yes, he did play he uh, did a few
2: games. So he probably got owned at Allianz. Uh, yeah, all right, so this isn't quite the first time. I thought you were
0: being sarcastic, because I remember him losing his mark several times.
2: No, if he played at Allianz, he lost a mark there. I mean, that's just kind of a given. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Man, I, I'm starting to feel a little bad for the guy. You know, part of his, uh, part of his, his, the reason Minnesota United was so high on him was he was he was young, he was versatile. They could put him in a lot of different positions, and the clock just keeps ticking, and he's not improving, and that that sucks. You know, you always hope that young players kind of find their ceiling somewhere, and he's just he doesn't look like he's capable as a center back, which means somebody's gonna have to take a flyer on him, thinking they can get him to play well in a new position. Moving off of Calvo, you know, if that had been our only game last week, I think I would be in a significantly more sour mood. Um, Sunday's win over Dallas, it, it, honestly, it kind of feels like uh, when you get a strike in bowling and it pushes the scores that you had, like if you had a bunch of spares before that. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're getting a lot more credit for those spares than you would have otherwise. That's what Sunday felt like. So, yeah, Wednesday wasn't a great game. It was a little bit of uh, – 2018 even 2019 to a certain extent loons playing to the quality of their opponent which is something you never want to see um, but yeah that game sucked we don't have to talk are- more about it but given that they then turn around and beat dallas all of a sudden you look at that and go okay maybe that was just kind of a slip in form their heads weren't in the right place but maybe it's forgivable
0: yeah midweek game probably not rested properly. Dan, are you are you saying that Chicago is not as good as Minnesota United on paper?
2: Yeah, I mean I think uh, we, when said, we said you said... are playing
0: down to your opponent. Are you, are you actually claiming that 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 Chicago Fire aren't as good in 10th place as, as... Uh,
2: I I at at the risk of uh, hearing from Meredith McClaes' uh, <laughs> absolute wrath. Yes, I am going to suggest <laughs> that uh, the Chicago Fire, who I believe did not make the playoffs, right, no, they not. Yeah. are not as good as Minnesota United. The shout
0: out to the for changing her, her name on on Twitter to lifelong L A F C supporter.
2: <laughs> the honestly, one of the things if I was going to sell like international soccer fans on MLS, I would sell two things. One is the unironic jankiness of some of the things around the league that I sincerely love, like the fact that the Supporters' Shield didn't get shipped to Philly in time for the game last night. And so they found it was like the web manager's fiancé's brother had a like full-on 150-pound uh, Captain America replica shield that he then donated to MLS so that they could slap a vinyl sticker on so it looked like the Supporters' Shield. Like that's amazing to me, Mm -hmm. and that's that that level of jank doesn't happen anywhere else in the league. Partially because there's no way it could take more than twelve hours to ship anything anywhere in England. The country's just not big enough for that to be an issue. Right. Yeah. but the second thing is just the overwhelming pettiness of MLS fans, and and the three of us are among them. Like, ask any Minnesota United fan about how much they hate Atlanta United, a team that doesn't even play in the same conference and is really only narrowly connected. And the pettiness goes so deep. And and Meredith is another wonderful example of just the incredible pettiness.
0: We love you, Meredith. Yeah. Oh, and she'll she'll own that. That's not an insult at all.
1: No, 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 no of course not. Uh, I'll say the one the one thing that. Uh, and this is going to lead us to a bit larger question: Is Reynoso coming on to that match totally made the difference against Chicago? When he's on the pitch, he, you know, I don't think he's had a bad stretch of of time on the pitch with the Loons. I'm I'm hard pressed to to think of any time where he's he's looked even like mediocre. Anytime he's been on the pitch, he does he does some shit where you're just like. Kind of it was it's Ibsen esque, and he's just trying to do some shit, and he like he loses the ball or whatever, but that's just because he's so much better than so many other players on on the on the pitch, and he just makes everybody around him better. He came in and almost immediately, Minnesota United scored the the first goal to get back into the game, uh, and then you know again, um, just he had, was too much creative force for the shitty Chicago defenders to uh, do anything about. So that's one one thing I'll take away from from that game is that man, right now, So we are a completely different team. Regardless of who was around Reynoso, we are a completely different team when Reynoso is on the pitch, and he and seems along, to be, and he seems to have been fi- to be finding. And we'll talk about this in a little bit here with the Dallas game. Seems to be finding a rhythm with Molino, Lude, and Finley, which is really
0: really good. Yeah, and with that Reynoso stepping on hindsight being twenty twenty, he gets credit from learning how to give a guy a rest. You know, like if you look at how he played and Reynoso played versus Dallas, do you think he would have pl- played that well? Had he not rested Reynoso, if he would have started and pushed for Reynoso to to play a full 90 against Chicago, I don't know. That's a fair yeah, point.
2: Really hard to know because it's not like he's coming back from sprained hamstring, strained hamstring, sorry, or a sprained ankle or whatever. Like, you just don't know how COVID is affecting some of these guys. Uh, he sure looked damn good against Dallas, though, so we know he's got 90 in him. Uh, yeah. David, to your point, uh, like, it's very weird. It feels like this team was built with a Reynoso-shaped hole in it, and now that he's filled in the attack makes sense. And that's wild because the team didn't know he was coming in when they made most of their acquisitions for the year, they may have planned on it. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to poo poo that, but when this team doesn't have him, it feels like they're missing. There's this disjoint between the attack and the defense. And I, we've often attributed that to Ozzy Alonso being out, Grey Goose when he was on international duty and those things may really matter, but with those guys, Ozzy obviously didn't play Sunday, and Reynoso picked up the ball deeper in midfield and just drives forward. Uh, he is he is an incredible player, and I am so so glad that United didn't you know throw up their hands at Boca and Tolaris and his youth club and say like it's look just when you guys get your shit straightened out, call us. I'm glad they really pushed through, and I think the front office deserves some credit for saying we need this guy, we don't need a player, we need this player.
0: Yeah. All right. I, I I said that when we drafted Toy, he's everything that we wanted Abu Gamati to be and more. And I would say that even more so, Reynoso is everything we we wanted Darwin Sintero to be and more.
1: All right. Let's move on. Let's actually talk about a, a really fun game. And and probably legitimately maybe the most complete game Minnesota United has played since before COVID. I know we've talked a lot on this podcast um, about, <clears throat> you know, how that Minnesota has not actually played a, a good game in a long time, right? They played good halves um, that were either followed by or, or preceded by shitty halves. They haven't played a full good 90 uh, trying to, and I was tackling uh chatting with with Wes during the St. Pauli match yesterday, we were, uh, we were just trying to rack our brains and figure out the last time, how many times, how many good games that Minnesota United has played this year. And then, you know, even some of the good ones, you know, the RSL game um, there's in the the Cincinnati game, like there was contributing, like not as good. So um, this might be the first time that we've had that in, in quite some time. If not, if not since before COVID or since before the tournament, sorry, they, they play some good games, some good complete games in the down in Orlando. So, um, but yeah, first half we are the four, two, three, one still. Grey Goose gets the armband. Boxwell's obviously out again. Uh, we had Aha and Coleman in the in the middle of the back line there. Uh, one thing of note: the FC Dallas keeper, and I had pulled up his name, and of course it went away. Uh, Felipe Meguillaro was making his first um, his first start in MLS. Uh, young kid, I think twenty one years old. So um, saw that was like, all right, well, just shoot, shoot, shoot. And Minnesota United played really well out at the gate. Uh, managed they had a couple opportunities early on. In the seventeenth minute, uh, Molino. Um, gets the first goal with an assist by Reynoso.
2: Coming off an FC Dallas turnover um, that was almost identical to the last time these teams played at Allianz, it was in fact so identical that uh, uh, Matt Toyle for MLSsoccer.com released his playoff tears today and was talking about Minnesota and what they needed to do and had a video of the older goal. <laughs> and it took me two like intentionally, he just didn't have a video for this one. And it yeah. took me two watches through to figure out that it was the other game and not this game. This is <laughs> as close a carbon copy goal as I've seen. And both times it came off of Minnesota United completely understanding what FC Dallas was trying to do when they, uh, so when Dallas gets the ball in their own third, trying to push forward in the way that they want to do that, both in that game and in this game, United just snuffed out so many of those shorter passes and forced Dallas to punt it long. But the turnover here was just absolutely horrendous. And, and United was ruthless in making him pay for it.
0: Was this the ha- one that. Hollingshead, <laughs> sorry, was Hollingshead this- thought he had a safe pass back and Robin Lude stepped in front? and and But I, it wasn't really like Robin Lude did anything amazing because he was just there and Hollingshead just passed to him.
2: Yeah, I don't know if Hollingshead underhit that pass or just straight up didn't see Lude. It, it could be, it could be either, but it, it doesn't matter. I mean, right. from that point, from the point Lude touched the ball, every player in that sequence knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing and did it. And and this is where I think Reynoso shows himself to be a truly elite player in MLS. He wasn't looking to score when he got the ball. He knew exactly where Kevin Molino was going to be on the run, and Molino one touched it in the back of the net. Right. Uh, Dallas
1: is now without their chances. <clears throat> um, Michael Barrios, and, and we'll talk. I want to talk a little bit about Bakai Bassi probably in the second half, but did not have a great game and was getting owned by um, Barrios on the on, well, the Loons' left hand side, the, the FC Dallas' right hand side, uh, and almost scored in the uh, 20th minute. So first half ends. Uh, Minnesota United had almost 60% of possession in the first half, and we, you know, we obviously obviously know, and anybody who follows this team generally knows that when we have more possession we are we generally do not do well. So this was an interesting but they really had do, they really dominated that first half of, of that game.
2: They really did. I don't think Dallas expected them to want the ball the way that Minnesota decided that they wanted the ball. And honestly, I'm gonna give credit to Heath on this. I mean this was a full team we want to possess the ball, we want to possess it high up and we don't want Dallas spending a lot of time in our in our third. And it worked in the first half um, Dallas. Certainly you're right. Did have the chances. The ball Coleman cleared off the line from Barrios. Oh, we
1: and... about that. Yeah, that was the, the, the one the 20th minute.
2: Yeah. And then uh, I think there was another, did they hit the post also in the first half? Cause I think they hit them or was that twice in the second?
1: No, I think they hit one in the first half and I think two Hollingshead. In the second. or one. Hollingshead. Or they... Hollingshead. What's that?
0: Oh, no, that Hollingshead one was in the second half. Yeah. I don't know who yeah. hit the crossbar in the first half.
1: Yeah. Let's let's just talk very quickly about that because we we were actually we were texting each other during during the match. Uh, that Barrios uh, turnover it was a you know turnover and and just you know he came down. Uh, Dan Clair came out and kind of was stuck in no man's land. Like he didn't come out quick enough to take the ball down. And he was out too far. Berrios tries to chip him. He gets just enough of a finger on it to I think give the ball just enough backspin so that Brent Coleman is able to race back, leap into the net. You know, head the ball out. Um, it doesn't cross the it doesn't cross the line off a, the crossbar. What's and off the crossbar? Yes, right. He yeah, banks it off the crossbar. And <laughs> so, when FC Dallas, their Twitter. So, if you don't follow the FC Dallas Twitter account, they're great. They're they're really they're self deprecating and really funny. And at the halftime, they posted a, a tweet that basically said, uh, "At least we're winning the crash the crossbar game." I tweeted back at him, I think from the Dave's I Know account saying, well, at least one of those uh, crossbars is from us because that was Brent Coleman's crossbar. That wasn't your crossbar. (laughs) It was, was, you know, credit to Brent Coleman for recognizing what was going on, rushing back, you know, putting his body on the line. Say what you want about his politics. They suck and he's a terrible person. But uh, he is not, you know, we've talked about this before. He is, he can be an average defender on a, you know, Middle tier MLS team. I think that his, I think that's his, his ceiling, which is, you know, better than ninety nine percent of any other soccer player in in the United States, even more than that, right? So he did a really good job, and we gotta give him credit where credit is due on that one. But I also want to point out that Dane St. Clair, Dane St. Clair doesn't get a mid on that; it's going in. I don't think it's going in for sure. I don't think Brent gets a chance to get there. But Dane St. Clair got big, man. He, He is, he can get big. I think that is why I'm really excited about Dane St. Clair. I would love to see him put a little bit more meat on. And, uh, but he is, he's big. And that is, that's something that's very, very important as a former goalkeeper myself. You have to do a lot of things to, uh, to accommodate for not being. I'm not a tall man or a a large man. So you have to do a lot of things to, to, you know, help accommodate for that. And and that's just something you can't teach, obviously. Can't teach height.
2: No, you really can't. And, and he's long limbed, too. And we've seen uh, the penalty he saved was like he, I think he legitimately got beat. He just had a lot of leg left. Um, and in this case, I think you're right that he got himself into no man's land, but got big enough to, to put Barrios off a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's looked, a, he looked fine in this game. Uh, not one of his better ones. He didn't give up two goals, so he didn't make team of the week,
0: Right. Uh, so <laughs> weird. which is so
2: weird. for those of you who don't obsessively follow the team of the week, uh, which you shouldn't, uh, Dane St. Clair has twice been named to the, uh, team of the week bench but never he's got what six shutouts this season something like that
0: i think it's never been it's never been
2: any of those games the two games where he has given up two goals he makes the team of the week bench which is just very very strange Uh, but yeah i I thought he was fine in this game the thing his instincts need to get better they will he's still a young kid uh the fact that he has the physical awareness and the sense of how to start coping with some of those mistakes, I think is going to bridge the gap from really promising young keeper to really, really outstanding first-team keeper for this team for a long time.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, He's done everything this season, including going on loan to San Antonio, to my knowledge, without complaint and, and getting minutes and putting his time in there deserve the number 1 kit next year and i hope they give it to him.
1: He definitely he definitely deserves a fair shot at it, right? I don't think there should be a clear there shouldn't be a hierarchy going in. I think they you know, if Miller is healthy and St. Clair is healthy, they should both have a, a, a fair shake at the at the number 1 job. So that's that's the, most, the 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 most generous i can be for for Tyler Miller and and for Dane St. Clair. So um i would i would not be a uh Opposed to Dane Sinclair being the number one to start the season either, though. So I definitely think he's he's earned that opportunity. So, all right. So we'll jump into the second half. You know, the whistle, you know, hadn't even stopped ringing. And all of a sudden, Minnesota, Babelow gets his first goal. Um, just a hell of a strike with the assist from Robin Lude. And again, this is off a terrible uh, Dallas turtle. <laughs> Robin yeah.
0: Lude in the right place at the right time. Doing Robin Lude things.
2: And uh, hits Babello right in the foot. It was a perfect pass. One of the things that really impressed me about the goal is that there's, if you go back and watch, Renoso doesn't take a backswing. He puts all of the power on the shot from about, it looks like he's going to pass the ball and then all of a sudden it zips past the keeper. So his, his decision-making is incredibly quick and that's awesome the fact that he can pull off the stuff he wants to do with a minimum amount of movement makes him so dangerous. We saw it wasn't on this goal so much, but so much of the second half, we saw him cutting Dallas defenders, guys going flying past. And all of a sudden right so had the ball in space again and just, he was so, so good. I'm glad, it, I'm glad he broke his duck and finally scored the goal just because I feel like that would have kind of hung out over him of like, Oh, well, he's a great assistant, but he doesn't score. He's so dangerous. If he's in the opposing box, Minnesota United has a decent chance of scoring.
1: Right. Yeah. To there, you know, game. Minnesota pretty much, you know, stayed in control. Um, in the 67th minute, uh, Thiago Santos just absolutely stomps on Jan Gregus. goose takes a shot. Um, I think Santos didn't see Gregoose, uh, but he definitely comes down hard on the ground. And I don't understand how. I mean, I, I can understand by the law of the game, while you don't give that a red card, that's clearly reckless Uh, and should have been a yellow card, which Santos was already on a yellow card. It would have been a sending exactly.
0: off.
1: Exactly. So that's the case. I don't, I don't understand how, I mean, we've talked obviously a lot about refereeing decisions here in, in Europe. I just don't, I just don't get it. I, I mean, I, 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 I've never refereed soccer. I was a baseball umpire for a long time. I umpired like division three college baseball for years and years ago so I get it a little bit, but like there's, I just don't understand some, how some of these
0: decisions are made the way they are. It looked like when he was coming down, a lot of people thought it was, it was intentional. Even Kendra Day St. Aubin remarked that it looked like Santos knew exactly what he was doing and where he was placing his foot. It looked like, as, as awkward as the collision was, to you, your point, David, that he Santos wasn't expecting, didn't really know where where anybody was and after the collision it looked like he was trying to step over Gregouche's body to, to yeah. it looked like he's trying to straddle his body and then hit his head again I'm not claiming there was intent or not intent it's just when you're that out of control and that unaware of your surroundings and that reckless that, that's a yellow card
2: yeah to David's point in real time, I thought it was a straight up stomp. And and on the replay, it's clear he's not looking back, he's not looking for Grey Goosh. I don't think it was intentional. So, okay, it's not a straight red, but you've recklessly endangered an opponent. And if you're that out of balance, and if he is trying to step over Grey Goosh's body, that means he knows Grey Goosh is down there. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I'm I'm so tired of and this is a little bit of a philosophical point, so I'm not going to present this as though it's objective truth. I am not one for whom the second yellow should be orange. Like if you, if you do two yellow card challenges, that's fine. You're out. It's not that the second one needs to be worse or anything like that. And I feel like MLS refs are by and large of the opposite uh, sort of mindset, which is, okay, your first yellow it's a late challenge. You pull back a guy who's going past your professional foul, whatever. But if you're going to get a second yellow, it actually kind of needs to be a straight red. Like in and of itself. And that really bugs me. I mean, this is the second time that's happened. And the third time since the tournament that United should have had an opponent sent off against them. I mean, this is very reminiscent to me of the, uh, the FC Cincinnati game. When Jose Aha got pulled into the advertising boards. Oh but yeah. That absolutely should have been a yellow. And I mean it should have been a red but it also should have been a yellow and it wasn't (laughs) so it's it's just really it's frustrating to see and uh, I'm going to try to take off the homer lenses here because I'm sure other teams feel this way but United has suffered a lot of bad fouls this year that haven't gotten called and that feels really really frustrating to me Heath Heath was livid in this one because Reynoso was getting kicked all night. And I'm not saying the refs have it out for Minnesota United, but we do start to have a pattern of behavior where you, you want to go to pro and say, look, like for whatever reason, this is consistently happening. We need you guys to watch out for this at least.
0: Yeah. Not to mention that Santos earlier had a horrible challenge on Kevin Molino that could have warranted, borderline yellow was a ref gave us turn warning and us the ball and attacking third on a, on a foul. But I mean, Santos's behavior in, in this game from, you know, the fifth or 10th minute, whenever that foul on, on Molino happened, you know, is very, very evident. And the, the ref's inability to control and punish that behavior is just again, a fault of pro referees. And it wouldn't be that bad if, like Dan, you said, didn't happen all the time. And I I don't think Minnesota United is the only team that this happens to.
2: Which then makes me wonder if, knowing that rosters were going to be a little thin, that COVID was going to be a consistent problem this season, I wonder if there was an agreement between pro and MLS not to swallow whistles, but just to be a little bit lenient. So hey, if that's a if that's an orange foul, give them yellow and a stern talking to. Don't give him straight red. For those second yellows, yeah, you do need to be a little bit more. It maybe does need to be a little bit worse, just so that we're not getting guys suspended. And I think that's incredibly shitty, but it is a logical. If the league did do that, it would be logical. All right. This is getting into MJ andon territory. Right. I'll I'll cop to We're that. But...
0: Now, like, what's guys like, stop? <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't
2: do this again. <laughs> I can't
1: do it.
0: MJ Anon does have so many other things to be talking about. But, That's it hasn't let's, even. Let's finish. It, with we, the
1: slack. This actual the actual match. We can talk about some other stuff. Seventy uh, fifth minute. Sonny Dotson comes back on for comes on for Finley, which is great to see. Has Sonny Dotson back in the fold. I was I was a little surprised that he was in the eighteen. And it was great to see him uh, make his way onto the pitch and get, you know, get 15 or get about 20 minutes or so to run around and, and hopefully, you know, get fully fit for the playoffs.
0: Two really strong defensive challenges to break up a FC Dallas attacks late. And as Kinder Dane St. Aubin pointed out, great to see that after coming off of injury, no fear, you know,
1: just doing what he does. It was great to see. And then a few minutes later, uh, Minnesota gets their third, uh, third goal of the game to ice the match. And secure the fourth seed in the playoffs. Kevin Molino finishes his brace with again assisted by Abelardo uh, Reynoso. So Reynoso involved in all three uh, goals for the match uh, was rightly awarded the Minnesota United player of you know player of the match. We'll talk about that in a second because that's funny. Um, this is an, another a great ball by Reynoso. That's just goalkeeper probably should have done a little bit better with this one, but Reynoso finds Molino, you know, just just the defender can't quite get to it, and Molino just basically passes it into the back of the net.
2: Yeah, it, Molino's best moments in this game were when he was moving quickly, particularly in concert with Reynoso, one touching the ball. When he got the ball at his feet and dribbled a little bit, he was constantly taking a little bit of too much time. But when it was Reynoso, one pass into Molino's feet, he knows, he knows what to do with that ball, and Reynoso is going to consistently give it to him, and that's pretty damn exciting as we go into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, MJ? Totally agree, Dan. There was that one time where Reynoso was, realized that he was being double teamed and he just drilled it backward. I mean, he faced his back away from the net and just dribbled towards Dane St. Clair for about 10 feet till he could uh, offload that to either one of our center mids or, or defense. And other than that dribble for about 10 feet, every other time that he carried the ball too, too long – or for that amount of time, ended up into a a horrible turnover. But what's impressive is, one, you saw some great interplay from our attacking four, probably our four best attackers on the pitch at the same time, at least considering who's healthy. And Reynoso gets two assists and a goal, Lude, two hockey assists and an assist, You know Molino with the brace, everything's working in concert. There are times where Finley, his nose of running directly towards the net is fine because as he kind of takes that false nine striker position, Lute is circling back and taking over the right wing position. It was beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Adrian Heath used all five substitutions in this game. I think for the first time <laughs> since the tournament, probably um, Langsdorf came in for Molino um, literally the minute after his goal. So that last touch, that last, you know, last shot by Molino, I think was his last touch of the match. And the 85th minute. So that was, so Langsdorff, uh, the kid from Reno uh, brought in gets his first match for Minnesota United in the 80th minute and the 85th minute. Uh, Noel Billingsley came in for Metonier getting his first Minnesota United minutes. Uh, Musa for Hairston and Gasper for, Re- for Reynoso and Minnesota United finished this game, those last five minutes or so, and like some modified 4 3 3 with Grey Goose up top. Uh, I thought <laughs> yeah. for sure that Jan Grey Goose was going to get red carded because he was just going after people. Um, I think he was a little, still a little upset about that stomp and was going. And to uh, Luchi Gonzalez's credit, he made sure to get stomp- Santos out of the game. Yes. Yes. Yeah. After that stomp. And I thought I literally I I think I said to I think I said to a few people that I was watching with I'm like Grace, Grace is gonna get a red card here because he's just he's out there. he's out for for vengeance so I'm going I told
2: I, Gretchen the exact same thing like when he came back I was like oh maybe they'll help him off and when he came out with a rap I was like oh my gosh he's going to get a red card
1: especially after he was up top and he was just like going into defenders and I was like he's gonna murder somebody and he's gonna get a red card so I'm glad he didn't
0: but I don't know if he got a yellow for it but he did a hard foul I think it was on Brisson. it was on Brisan he or Hedges.
1: Yeah, he did not get a he did not get a yellow card for that. So all right, but, he did like,
0: he
2: did get a talking to though. The referee came over and basically, like if you could read lips, was like, "I know you're mad, settle
0: down." <laughs> yeah, after all the subs, again, credit to Heath, subbing the right people in the right spots. Billingsley coming in at right back, putting in Gasper as a left center, um, yeah. and and Dotson Dobson as as a as a right center with Musa in between them giving Harrison a well-deserved rest and then putting Gregus up at Reynoso's spot, kind of in the false-false in nine, with Langsdorf and Lude to his left and right, respectively. It worked, and it worked especially well when Gregus realized more towards the end of the game, he comes back into the midfield and it's more of a 4-4-2. And they're defending in the two banks of four, like you want um, towards the end game. And so that 4-3-3 three, three ended up be kind of shifting to a 4-4-2 four, four, once uh Gregouche was done trying to attack every white jersey he saw on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: all right. So anything else we want to talk about in this game? The One thing I wanted to bring up, there are a couple things, one thing I wanted to bring up is we didn't have Raheem Edwards in the, in the uh, 18 at all, which, considering he was you know, almost directly responsible for the winner last weekend, <clears throat> I, I, I can't quite figure out what is going on with Raheem Edwards. Uh, MJ, I mean, do you have any thoughts?
0: The M, MJ On slack says that uh, uh, Edwards is, is sick. He has Adrian's disease.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just I can't quite figure I just I just can't, I, I, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on Heath right now because I'll probably spend a little bit of time here in a second. So MJ, why don't you talk a little bit about
0: um your, your you know your improvements that you saw? I just couldn't believe from both sides of the ball, from from offense to defense, the how complete we were. I saw Marlon Harrison settle into that center midfield role in a way next to Gregus that was 10 times better now was it because they moved Gregus to, to the left and have him play more of an Aussie defensive mid role, and Ron Harrison could play on his more natural right side maybe but he looked way more comfortable he he was so amazing defensively in a way that I, I can't and he made some great passes um he had that through ball at the Finley that I think should have been a goal. And there were times where there was a turnover up the pitch. Dallas was attacking down the right side. And both DeBasi and Coleman do the wrong thing. They're lunging at the ball, trying to toe poke it away, rather than having their momentum move backwards. And Dallas keeps coming and attacking with more and more players. And who's back there to stuff Bar- Barrios – but Marlon Harrison, you know? And so just huge improvements on that kid. And then our back line looked really good. And part of that was improved chemistry and understanding of their roles between Ahan and Brent Coleman.
2: I think that's true. I, Dallas really did get some really good opportunities in this game and their decision-making may have been United's best, best defender. Uh, <laughs> we, we can talk about this a little bit in the, in the Freddy Adoos. But they're, I think a, a, an older, a little bit more disciplined attacking set, I think still could give United a fair amount of stress. But you're right. I mean, I didn't sweat every time Dallas had the ball the way I did when Chicago had the ball.
0: My favorite play of the game was we were making these fluid attacking passes. Robin Lude comes back. Does kind of a one touch backwards to, I think, Debossi. Debossi plays it up to Molino. Molino plays it back to Debossi. Debossi hits over to Reynoso. And it was just this beautiful concert of, of one touch or two touch passes. And then I think it was Debassi and, and Reynoso that were just passing back and forth because no one was cu- coming at them and no one was cutting towards the middle which would have been the natural pass. And finally Gregus makes that cut forward and Reynoso hits him and Gregus passes it back over to the over to Molino, back to, back to Reynoso. And it ended up being a, a turnover, I think on Molino trying to do too much, but one of my favorite plays, I've never seen us want the ball so much and use possession in a lead as our best defender.
1: Yeah, it was good. And you know, the, We'll get before, cause I'm going to, I'm going to jump on Heath here in a second. Before I do that, I want to say he actually, again, had a really good game plan, right? Certainly Dallas did not expect us as Dan mentioned in the you know first part of the, of the, of the recap here did not expect us to want the ball to, as much as we were, you know, those four guys up top, if, if we can keep the ball in, in their half of the pitch and those four guys are the ones who are, who are making the plays with it. I think that gives us a lot of opportunity and you know, to Heath's credit, again, he didn't, I don't think he got out coached in the second half. Now, I don't think he, like, you know, I don't think he made any tactical acumen shifts that, you know, were revelatory or anything like that. I think he did a good job getting some rotation, you know, getting a couple guys some minutes uh, late in the game who needed it. And so I don't think he was, it's not like he was, you know, fucking Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola out there, right? <laughs> like, the game with his with what he did, but he didn't fuck it up. And that is, you know, for a lot of MLS coaches, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing, right? You know, just, not, just get, get out of the way and, and let the team, let the talent be the talent and, and do what they need to do. So, yeah, that's, I'll say that as my, I, I, you know, when we, we I don't want to be accused of just being super anti-Heath because of, you know, whatever. When, you know, when the guy is good, he's, he's okay. he's, he's a, He could be a manageable, serviceable MLS coach. When he's bad, he is really, really fucking bad. And that is, I think that's the problem.
2: Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be a little more complimentary than than that even. I mean, I think given how tied his hands were in this game, I think the right. game plan was right. And it, we have been very critical of him. I think the two things we criticize Heath most for outside of the PR, the, the two on-field things we're most critical of are lack of substitutions a lack of squad ro- and a lack of squad rotation. Um, we'll call that one thing. Cause I got another thing. Uh, and then it just uh, being inflexible with his tactics. And in this game, we saw him flex tactics. We saw the team try to control the ball a little bit more. And we did, I mean, we saw all five subs. We saw him trying to give players who are working their way back some, some minutes he protected Molino and Renoso. There's nothing more I could have asked out of Adrian Heath in this game. Right. Um, so, it, I, I mean, this, It could legitimately be a situation where he's, he has too many choices. I mean, we've, we've lauded the squad depth this year and maybe he felt uh, bound by not really knowing what his best squad was, but with injuries and international duty and what have you, this was his best squad. And, and to your point, you're exactly right. He let them play and he basically told his offense, which was where all the, the talent was, you guys have to win us this game. And you know what? They fucking did.
0: And there were so many times where I felt like, yes, Dan, you're right. Dallas did get the ball in dangerous spots and then fucked up. And that was amazing. But there were also times where previously you would have seen Dallas spring their attack on one of our turnovers and it's a four on two. And instead it was a three on three. We had players back, whether that was Gregouche, whether that was. Marlon Harrison, whether that was any of our back four, we did not send as many people forward on the attack and then horribly turn the ball over and not have the bodies back to deal with the counterattack. And so, in general, seeing better position and discipline on defense was an absolute joy for me.
1: And I guess, so the, the only thing I, I will – there's a couple – He's made some comments post match. Uh, <laughs> post- and post the Chicago match that have been picked up by the, the MLSsoccer.com website. And there's been a couple stories from, from them actually about it. So I, I encourage you to check those out. I, I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily disagree with some of those things he said. I think he has, I think he's just really shitty at PR. Um, and he's a football manager, right? He shouldn't be good at PR, but you know, the team should get him better at being at doing PR, right? He's he's the only one that talks to the media every single week, right? The since you know Jeff reuter and Jeremy and, and all those guys from from zone coverage and from Andy Greeter and Zagoda, I mean I don't think Zagoda would ever go to a match, anyways. But those guys can't get into uh, the locker room. They only get you know one person or two players and Adrian every week. So you know he thinks you would just just by osmosis just get better at PR. And so I don't. I, I the only one, the only thing I want to talk about because this was actually again something that we've talked about a lot about. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. But he's, he's actually asked the question about Brent Coleman. And I'm not sure if you guys have saw, seen this. Uh, Jeff Reuter posted it on his Twitter uh, yesterday after the game around 8.20. Uh, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Rushing of the of zone coverage actually was the one who asked the question. So kudos to Jeremy for asking the question and for Jeff for sort of posting the response uh, to the question. Um asked, asked Adrian Heath about Brent Coleman's decision to stand, did you guys see see these? quotes or anything yeah yes okay so if you haven't if you haven't uh read the quote you can I mean, me take from it what you will um he's and and you know there was some clarification in the thread that jeff posted basically like this was you know i, I don't think it, i don't think this is a good uh a good quote obviously about the situation apparently this was like the, the first question after he was talking about something else i'm sure adrian was like a little flummoxed by it i think the response if this is what brent had said to the team i think it's pretty shitty and doesn't actually address the things that people have been asking about this and i also think it's a really shitty look that he that the team doesn't that brent doesn't get out there and and explain and this is what we've, we've talked about this too so many times on this podcast with with all this standing kneeling bullshit that he's going through he's like just come out and tell us why i don't i if you're reasoning is shitty at least we know what it is right hiding behind you know the team and your coach is not it's it's cowardly it's fucking cowardly and I'm sure you know I think the joke was uh last night was that Brent was playing like a man who's a uh, candidate just lost um <laughs> with his uh with his you know running back for that header you know and again I, I don't think I'm you know I'm just I'm I don't think Brent will be back I, I really hope he won't be back and I Think that's fine, and he has every right. And as I've mentioned before, he has every right to to do what he does and to to say what he says. I also think, uh, as a professional sports figure, and he's doing something that literally no one else is doing. He deserves. We deserve an explanation. We deserve a reasoning why. And again, we don't have to agree with that reasoning. We might think that reasoning is is stupid and and terrible and offensive, but we deserve to hear from him what his reasoning is. And that's you know, I think. Hopefully we don't have to talk about this too much more uh, after, after uh, tonight.
2: Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen the quote and don't want to dig through Jeff's Twitter feed to find oh, it. The, the upshot of it is basically that uh, Colin has addressed the locker room. His teammates know exactly what his reasoning is. And therefore he th- said he does it with a team's blessing, but also we're, we're pretty much not going to talk about it. Um, and he couched it
1: badly. I think, yeah, the thing that really stuck out to me is last time I looked, this is actually a direct quote from him. Last time I looked, we we're in a democratic society where people are free to do what they want to do. To which I'm like, True. We, are to, we are free to call him out for his bullshit and continue to call him out for his bullshit too. Like I think I think he thought that would be a a good way to sort of, you know, to
2: be I don't know. Just he, to, to he thought it was going to gonna shut down the conversation. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and it's like uh, no, nobody. True. That's not tried before, and it hasn't worked then either.
1: It's, and it's not going to do it in this. It's not going to do it. It won't do it in a regular. If this was last year and he was doing this, it went to it went to cut it. It's certainly not going to cut it after we've seen this country. Um, almost half of this country say that Trump was fucking okay by them. So it's not definitely not going to cut it now, right? So. Right, do you guys have any other thoughts on this? Otherwise we can, we can move on and uh, talk about our Friday
2: I am glad somebody asked. I'm glad Adrian answered. Um, we can say that it wasn't a great answer. That's all right. That's his right. Whatever. But I'm, it was getting ridiculous. Either that the question wasn't being asked or that the team wasn't allowing Adrian to answer. I don't know which of those two things it was. I am glad that as bad as the statement is, it's out there. We have at least that. And I agree We should get something from Coleman. I agree. We're never going to. The team isn't going to make him available for that. But, uh, you know, at at least we've got this. And it's bad. But I would rather have somebody on the record saying, you know, his teammates know what his feelings are. And we're confident that that isn't going to be an issue. I I don't know. Like, I'm grasping at straws here and not intentionally. I'm not trying to, like, say that anyone did a great job in this other than at least it's on the carpet and we don't have to speculate.
0: Yeah. As an Asian American on this pod, I just want to say how one, yes, Coleman's behavior in standing and not joining his teammates is, is offensive. And I, I can call him out on that. We all can call him out on that. I would say that, and I know people, certain people are tired of hearing about this, but as someone who used to be a very conservative Republican myself, if you were ever wrong about something and it took you a moment to be enlightened about it, whatever that was, maybe you thought all poetry should rhyme. Maybe you thought that all visual art should be mimetic and you know, abstract art was just stupid. Uh, maybe you thought heavy metal was yelling and screaming and not a worthy music choice. I don't know what that is. Whatever your Thing that you were wrong about maybe you thought your your dad was an asshole and you realized that he, he really did everything out of love whatever that was like and whatever that thing was that took you not just one person telling you or five people telling you or a month maybe it took two three years um don't write Coleman off on this uh when Heath says he's a great guy he's a great teammate I know that sounds really stupid, lame, and like just trying to pull positives out of a completely negative situation. I mean, it does. But I also would say that those can be true statements. And rather than creating a false dichotomy of heroes and villains, and someone is 100% evil, that he probably is a great guy, and he probably is a great teammate, and he's probably very ignorant. Right on. All right. All right. Moving on. Hopefully, we never have to
1: talk about this ever again. Uh, Freddie Aduz, Minnesota. Uh, MJ, I'll start with you.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> my Freddie Adu from Minnesota, best best player of the game is Brent Coleman. There were times, not just the time that he headed the ball into the crossbar and out, where Barrios was attacking, and he owned Barrios, and he boxed him out, took over the ball, carried it forward, made a good pass defensively, except for that one time that he tried to poke poke and left, left Marlon Harrison tracking back to do his job for him. Except for that time, he was really solid defensively and he didn't make any stupid turnovers. Great. Yeah. Uh, Dan.
2: Uh, I'm going to cop out here and go with the obvious one. uh, uh He's just, he's so fun to watch. Player,
1: player of the week. Uh, Kevin Molino is, is <laughs> scoffing at you and Trinidad, Trin- Bago- G- bogey or whatever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I had to look this up today because uh, in, um, in Redoso's post-match comments, he said there was a language barrier between uh, him and Molino. And I realized, I don't know what the official language of uh, Trinidad and Tobago is. And the yeah, answer it is. is, it is either uh, <clears throat> Trinidadian English Creole or Tobagonian English Creole. Okay. So there you go. Uh, we all learned something today. Uh, but Redoso, in addition to phenomenal passing, great shot, the gentleman's hat trick, the thing that so impressed me was his ability to get the ball out of tight spaces. David, you mentioned earlier that he's got this Ibsen esque quality of, well, there's nothing to do here. So let's just try it. I think the ball can get through here and I can get through here. And, you know, some of these, he obviously ends up turning the ball over, but, it's not a frustrating amount. This isn't Darwin Quintero dribbling into three defenders and then falling over and hoping for the foul. He has a plan. It may be batshit insane, but there's a plan there. And so many times he left guys on skates and all of a sudden, whether obviously in the box, that becomes very threatening, but all of a sudden Dallas's shape is now gone. And Metner's bombing up the side or Molino's cutting in. He, his ability to hold possession and, uh, I'm going to give credit where it's due on this. This is something Gretchen pointed out during the game yesterday. He recycles Minnesota's attack better than any attacking player we have ever had. Minnesota doesn't go one and done. He runs down lost cause balls all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it is, it is infectious. It is getting into other players, particularly in the attack that they want to be in that right spot because they know the ball is going to be there. So if you make the dumb run to the back post, and it would take the world's craziest pass to put it there. People are going to make that run because he can make that pass. So I I am so impressed with Renault. So I just, I'm running out of words for it. Yeah,
1: I would agree. Um, I jokingly said the uh, the crossbar uh, um, because, you know, reasons. Uh, even Dane Sinclair came out today and said uh, he wanted to thank the crossbar for his clean sheet yesterday. Uh, you know, I'll go, I'll go just because, you know, Molino was, again, you know, wh- Spoiler there, he's player player of the week for MLS. Um, you know he Molino is such a hot and cold player that but when he's hot and when he's on, he is he might be one of the best uh, scorers in MLS. The problem is he checks out of games. Uh, he doesn't play really any defense whatsoever, which you know prevents him from being a, a complete player and, and you know and in a a contender for MLS best eleven. But when Molino is, is feeling it and when Molino is, is getting service and is part of the game, he's easily a best 11 player in MLS. And that is, I think that's saying something for a guy. Who, and he also, when he's not injured, that's the other, sort of the other knock on Molino is that he's often injured injured, or coming back from injury. And I think, you know, what you get injured enough, you get a little spooked out. When you're making your runs um because you don't want to aggravate anything and so i think there's there's a mental there's a mental part to recovering from injuries as well and and you know without without being a psychologist and diving into molino's head i'm sure it's stuff like that with the amount of you know stuff that he's done to his knees has got to sort of be weighing on him a little bit so uh all right shitty freddy news i i'll start i'm gonna go with uh bakai debasi i mentioned earlier in the podcast he his crosses were, were great in this game, but he was getting worked on the, on the left-hand side by Michael Berrios and by, by Dallas. He, he was not, you know, that in combined with Coleman, you know, uh, MJ, you mentioned on that um, Berrios almost goal, the, the one in the 20th minute, you know, Debasi is just completely left um, to his own devices and just is not up to snuff. I'm not sure he's not, he shouldn't be pushing Chase Gasper, as a, as a starting left back, but I think we, I think we can definitely at least for, based on the the short sample size that we have definitively say that he's a much better left center back than he is a full left back. So I don't know what that means going forward. Um, Hopefully chase Gaspar is back in for the playoffs and we can, the can slide back over to the left center back and, and and move Coleman out of there. But uh, yeah, I think there was not too many players have terrible games in this, you know, bad games. I think, um Debassi was the, the worst as I as far as I'm concerned. So uh MJ.
0: I actually thought the worst fullback was, was Metonair, and largely due to his having much worse crosses than Debassi. But fair points to everything you said, David. Um, my actual Freddie worst player of the game is Brent Coleman. And he was my best Freddy do, and he's my worst Freddy do, And this is again about things that we've talked about in our in our private chat that I just want to say, you can't always separate hero and villain inside a single person, everyone's human. They can be a, a fucking phenomenal defender on the pitch and just have costly turnovers, you know, with the ball or they can be a fucking phenomenal defender on the pitch and just do some really shitty things um, extra wise and disappoint you with their worldview. Right on. Uh, Dan?
2: Uh, My shitty Freddy to do for this one was Jan Grieguch, who didn't play particularly badly. Um, Definitely was out for blood after he got hit. Um, So that was – it was a little bit nerve-wracking to watch. Uh, But honestly, my my big issue with him in this game is the attack was so good because they were pinging the ball around Very few players were taking dribbles and slowing the attack, but Gregus was the one that was consistently just a little bit slow on the ball. So uh, David, to your point earlier, I don't think anybody really had a shitty Freddie Adieu game. Um, but Gregus was the one I was like, Oh, he didn't play quite as well as everyone else.
0: Yeah. Can I counter that just a little bit? I would agree that he was slow on the ball those few times. And, but there were, also seem to be the most chemistry that Gregouche and Reynoso had for the entire year
2: yeah the, I would agree with that and I think I think one of the things that is true about this team and and Heath has said it so I I will agree with him on this is this has been an incredibly stressful year just because the combinations haven't been there. So much of how Minnesota United wants to play on offense is this like heavy combination work, knowing where the next run is going to be. And it has just been a carousel of players. Uh, I'd be really interested to know how many minutes Gregush and Reynoso have played together or Molino and Rene. So, so I, I, completely agree with you. And I think I am hopeful that we'll see more of that going forward just because they flat out have more time together.
1: All right. Let's quickly do uh, Dallas. MJ, while you start? Give us both, give us both the good and bad
0: quickly. My, my best for to do is Jesus Ferreira. He's their number 10, although he wears number seven because their person who actually wears number 10 plays their number eight. so whatever I I don't pick the jersey kit numbers for Dallas whatever but Ferreira is their center attacking mid he distributes everything to that makes Barrios look good and and everything that uh makes is it the uh, Mescanos or uh whatever the DP is on the left that was coming back from injury he makes them all look good he he creates combination plays with all them and in the attack his unselfishness it's a different brand than reynoso but it's fun to watch and he, he looks very very effective um his teammates can't finish my my worst is uh hauling um for all the hard fouls and cards that he got and didn't get right on dan
2: uh i'm gonna go with a full freddie do experience and say both my good and shitty are michael barrios Uh, David, to your point, he, he tormented Bacayda Posse. He was constantly in behind. He was, he led the attack really effectively. He really put Minnesota United's defenders in bad positions quite a bit. Um, from that standpoint, he was definitely one of Dallas's best players. The reason I think he was their worst player is when he was in those dangerous positions, his decision-making was terrible. Uh, there was constantly odd man breaks and he would shoot or, he would not make a run that his teammate was expecting. And so um, I, I think Minnesota really could have ended up in a dogfight of a game if Barrios, in particular, and a few of their other attackers had just made slightly more composed decisions at some key points. Uh, so it's, uh, it's the full Freddy Do experience, but his name is Michael Barrios.
1: That's a fair point. I, I agree with you on the, on the good side of the ledger for FC Dallas and you make a very compelling argument argument for the other side of the ledger uh, for the, the shitty Freddie uh, for the full ado as we, as we like to refer to it here. Uh, I'm going to go with Tiago Santos again, should have been, the guy should not have even been on the pitch when he stomped on Greg Goose's head and definitely should have get, got the sent off the pitch when, uh, when he stepped on Greg Goose's head, um, but he did not. And so, you know, when you hurt our players like that, that is lay. Get, someone else has to do something really particularly shitty for, for me to get for them to get the Freddy ado for me when they it, like graphically and, and comically injure our players like that. So all right, let's take a quick break when we come back. We don't have a we don't have a game to discuss right now because we have a couple weeks, but we're gonna come back and talk some about the the rest of the Western Conference and who we're gonna be talking about, who we're gonna be hosting. We have a couple other uh, theoretical questions and some more United News. So we'll be back right after this. You won't me that type of dude and i want to be who you like me
0: to, but we both know i can't do nothing at all oh, yeah. all right and we're
1: back in the podcast uh so this is the part we talk about some of the big questions or some of the other sort of other related mos news we were watching the minnesota united game and clearly they had you know with that Uh, Molina go wrap up the fourth place in uh, MLS Western conference based on points per game. I think actually just based on total points too. I think they, they, you know, legitimately won it, but so there's about three different or four different scenarios that could have, or three different scenarios that could have happened for Minnesota. Basically before the match even started, all the playoff teams in the Western conference had been, had been locked up obviously with uh, San Jose beating LAFC during the midweek. So there's really no nothing to play for for the teams other than seeding, which is obviously very important when you are hosting uh, playoff matches and stuff. So Minnesota United, uh, their win, they secure fourth place, so they know that they're going to be playing fourth place. Dallas assumed that they would be, you know, if they lost that game, they would be playing again against Minnesota in a couple weeks. However, uh, LAFC went up on the Portland Timbers and jumped Dallas to fifth place, and we could have potentially been seeing LAFC – within about five minutes of the goal being scored the third goal being scored by Minnesota, LAFC surrendered a, a late one to draw with Portland, which dropped them to seventh place and the Colorado Rapids scored a late winner, which jumped them to fifth place um, based on points per game. Obviously the Rapids had played, I believe five fewer games than most teams in the Western conference due to the COVID stuff. So it, FC Dallas. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. not
0: appropriate in that in this
1: right. Not, we don't want to joke about people people getting COVID, MJ. That's not cool. Yeah, so, right. um, unless you're you know Donald Trump and you get it again, then that's fine. Can we joke about the Rapids getting plagued last year? We, we can joke <laughs> about the plague. That was that was funny. So, I guess my question here is: is this the best possible playoff scenario for Minnesota United? So, on our side of the bracket, we get we get Colorado Colorado in that first game at home. Uh, Seattle, LAFC, and Portland are all on the other side of the bracket. So if we beat Colorado, we either go to Sporting Kansas City, which obviously is, again, not great, Uh, or we host San Jose if San Jose somehow beats Kansas City in Kansas, Um, which, you know, San Jose's actually been playing fairly decent as of late. So there's a better, there's a shot that San Jose could go in there and upset Sporting Kansas City. Then we, you know, we get San Jose here for the conference semifinals. You know, I'm not sure if we'd rather play. Any of Seattle, LAFC, or Portland at their place, or I guess LAFC would be here in a in a conference semifinal scenario. I definitely would not want to go to Seattle or Portland. So, did I mean was this the best possible playoff scenario for Minnesota?
0: Minus one caveat, I will stay consistent with my previous my previous opinions about who Minnesota plays better against. I will take us versus Portland, especially at home than us versus Sporting Kansas City. So
1: but it wouldn't have been at home. There's, there's no way that we that we would have jumped Portland for to make it a home match. So right,
0: right. But I would say I like how we match up against Portland even away better than how we match up against Peter Vermees who, as David has continually said, has a hard on for beating Minnesota United and playing Sporting Kansas City. So other than wanting Portland and Sporting Kansas City to switch spots, this is ideal.
2: I'd love to have played Portland, like for a conference championship. Certainly not in the first round. Uh, just they're dealing with so many injuries, and and going to Portland is perhaps less of a terrible task now without fans than it would be in a normal situation. But that's I, a
1: it, fair point. Yeah. Uh,
2: realistically speaking, Minnesota United could not have asked for a better outcome especially with how games looked in like the 70th minute when it looked like LAFC was going to be coming here I don't want any part of LAFC and I have no idea who comes out of the 7-2 matchup but I can tell you for sure LAFC is the seventh seed is a huge disservice to how good that team is it's a weird season Vela missed a bunch of time Atuesta missed a bunch of time so maybe this is a fair representation for them but not having to play one of those teams I think is a huge win. And honestly, I don't disagree with you guys that Minnesota obviously doesn't play well. And Peter Vermees knows this team really well. The games this season have at least been closer. Um, And I should double check this. I don't believe they've played us with Reynoso in the lineup. And as we've pretty well established, this is a completely different team with that guy in the lineup.
1: I think you're, I think you're right. And that is, that is my, that's my caveat to why I think this is even, you know, I think I agree with you, MJ. We, we've we played Portland tough as of late, especially, you know, we beat them earlier this season uh, at their place with fans. So I'm not as worried about Portland, you know, obviously sporting, sporting Mersey park has been, um, you know, been a, a death trap for Minnesota United recently. I'm not, I can't even remember the last time we took points there, let alone, I don't know if we've ever won a game in Kansas, honestly, I think, and I don't know if we've even
0: we, we we've drawn, but we have not won.
1: Drawn, okay. So yes, yeah, so we've never won there, which is you know obviously would be a great monkey to get off our back if we if it gets to that point. However, Dan, to your point, we have they haven't played us with right now, so they haven't played us with those with that front four fully fully fit and ready to go. Um, you know, with this game, if we if we beat Colorado, which is you know I think still we'll talk about that game maybe in a in a in a week or two. I think it's gonna be a tough call, especially considering we have a lot of guys who are not going to be in potentially not going to be in the lineup because of uh, uh COVID uh sheltering a place coming back from international duty. We'll talk about that in, in a second. So I don't think co- being Colorado is a, is a given, uh, especially considering those games tend to be scrappy. Right. However, we, when we, when we've gone to uh, Kansas city the last several years, we go and we play a really weird lineup because it's like, that is the dime that that's, for whatever reason, Adrian Heath circles that match as like the squad rotation match. Or in this case of this year, we, we have a bunch of guys who are who are injured or who can't play or who are, you know, who have COVID or or whatever. So, you know, and it's it's been a weird we I don't think we've ever actually gone down there and played other than sort of probably the last time was maybe the the NASL, the last NASL open cup run. <laughs> we actually had our best squad out there, but again, it was NASL players playing against uh, a team uh that had made made a deep MLS Cup run the year before was it was pretty stacked so we got the shit kicked out of us but i'm not sure if we've actually played sporting in Kansas City with our probably first choice 11 so so i think this is again i think this is not a not a terrible you know not a terrible run and we, we you know we might have to go to portland to play for the final which i think you know with the conference final which i think would be great if if LAFC for some reason comes out of the side, side of the bracket they'll be playing us in Minnesota in like the first weekend in December. So fucking A, bring it on, right? You know, exactly.
0: The, so to on. your point, David, the, the last time we played Sporting Kansas City, and it was in Kansas City, we played a 5-3-2 with Aha yeah. at Sweeper, Edwards and Harrison at at wing backs, and a middle of Dots and Musa and Grey Goosh, and a front two of Toy and Hayes. So, yeah, we... Right. And, 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 and although we've, we've maybe played closer to our first 11 in other matches at Sporting Kansas City, a lot of our matches against Sporting Kansas City look like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you if you say our best three players right now are Renoso, Robin Lude when he plays on the right, and Kevin Molino, the last time we played this team, we had none of them.
0: Like... Yeah. I don't
2: know. I, I get the the feeling that this is a, a bogey game or that, you know, we can't win in Kansas City or but they're probably not going to have fans either at this point. And they, so, like,
1: they have had fans.
2: They they have. But with the way things are breaking out right. three we, three weeks from now, I don't know that that's still going to be true. Fair,
1: fair point. Fair point. <laughs>
2: so, yeah. I mean, we're talking about not really the same stadium, certainly not the same atmosphere. I mean, not the same Minnesota United. It's like, also Kansas, man. So
0: they're it, you know, exactly
2: well, <laughs> but it's not but Missouri. It's, not.
0: it's fucking Kansas. No, it's, well, it's
2: Kansas. It, yes, it's not Missouri. It, it, and it, but it actually doesn't matter because Johnson County has their own thing. Okay, it's because Kansas City is so screwy because it would have to straddle two uh, two states worth of regulations, and all of a sudden you'd be like. Well, on this side of the city, I can eat in a restaurant. And on this side of the city, I have to go fuck myself. That
1: that makes sense. Yeah. Kansas
2: City proper and Johnson County, Kansas do a lot of interchanging. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I wouldn't trust either of those state governments to do the right thing. That's (laughs) that's a very valid point. Moving away from politics for a split second, uh, as hard as it is to do. Um, Look, I mean, it's, it's fundamentally not the same atmosphere. It's not the same Minnesota United. So if they go in there thinking, oh, my gosh, like, we always come here and we always lose. They're getting Minnesota Twins itis and they're getting it way too soon. Right. Look, if they if they lose 12 straight in Kansas City, I'll give them that this is a place that they can't win. We're not at that point yet.
1: Right. Um, that's a good transition. We you know, we talked about Reynoso, and I as so I pose this question in the documents. Is Reynoso the best signing? I said in recent Minnesota United history, um, or M and UFC history. I think we could caveat that by saying, is this the best signing in, I would say, cause this is clearly the best signing in their MLS history bar none, hands down period. The question I have is, is this the best signing in, in Minnesota United FC history? So even what's even, we'll take away the, even the, the stars, thunder those days, like as the team as constituted as Minnesota United FC, which is basically from 2013, right? 2013, I think. Yeah. Correct. To now, is this the best signing in Minnesota United FC history?
2: It's on the short list. I can guarantee you that. Right. Uh, the only name that I could come up with that might have been better would have been Christian Ramirez. Um, Thank you, Dan. But I, man, and, and Christian, I don't. Christian's a club legend. I don't want to take anything away from him. Um, but just in terms of what they bring on the field. Reynoso's not there yet because Christian has the longevity, but boy, is he off to a great start. And I will throw out a name I thought was going to join them, but didn't was Lance Lang. I really thought he was going to be just mm. this unbelievable, fantastic signing and it didn't work out that way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Ramirez is the only other person that I would name and and I'm not, I'm not positive.
1: You could, you could throw out that first – basically that first six months of Darwin is probably better than what this first, whatever, three, three-and-a-half months of, of Ray Noso have been in terms of uh, output. You know, DQ had, what, the hat trick against LAFC. Um, Toronto. Toronto, right. Uh, a bunch of goals. He was electric. He was everything we, we wanted to be. But he – it soured fairly quickly with, with DQ – um, so Reynoso is not, I don't think he's quite to that level yet. Right. I think Reynoso will get there and you're right, Dan, uh, Ramirez is a, is a really great shout. I threw in, I threw out Ibsen, um, just cause I fucking love Ibsen and the dude is a, you know, he's a, he's a legend. And the problem with Ibsen is that he, he was so good that he could play. He could play just basically 50 percent, and he was the best player in the nasl right he didn't even have to try he's walked on the pitch and he was the best player in the league no matter what and i never think i never, i unfortunately I never think he got sort of that the motivation he needed to be he could have been uh mls best 11 player with minnesota uh, he could he could have signed with you know with an mls team when he came to minnesota would have had to actually probably put a little bit of work in, not even a ton of work, I think. Right? Like, it's Ibsen, man. Some of the shit that, that guy that I saw, that guy that he's probably, I would argue that Ibsen for me is the greatest soccer player I've ever seen play live, right? Maybe I guess Zlatan, but Zlatan didn't look all that great against when he played against Minnesota, but like no, in terms he of got
0: like,
2: pocketed by Coleman twice.
1: Yeah, Brent
0: Coleman shut him down. But in terms
1: of like players I've seen live. I've seen the most ridiculous shit from Ibsen and ridiculous in like the best possible way and ridiculous in the most egregiously error filled. What the fuck are you doing? Passing the ball straight to Alfonso Davies <laughs> way. Right? Like the guy was, the guy was a, a magician and sometimes the magician, like it was really bad magic. And sometimes it was a fucking amazing magic. And you're like, how the hell did he do that? So I think, I think Reynoso will eventually acquit himself and be and will, will go down as the greatest Minnesota United signing history. I think Ibsen still has the number one spot. I would argue, too, that Ramirez is still, um, just for the what he did, he still holds the goal record for the team uh, in a season with 14. He still, um, for what he did in spite of, for what he did with NASL specifically, and then even in spite of Adrian Heath, what he did with Minnesota United while he was still here, I think gives him a little bit of a, a leg up. But I could easily see Frainoso continues to progress like he's progressing, and he gets a full he gets an off season, he gets a full season, whatever that looks like next year. You know, the dude has what I think um, six assists right now, six like regular assists, yeah, uh, one goal. The guy could have he could have a he could do he could be like a like a fifteen to twenty assist guy next year, right? And if he puts in five or six goals on him, by himself, that's that's an MVP type season for for a player. And so I think you, I think we could easily see Reno. So pass that bar next year and be the, you know, whatever the best signing in, in, Minnesota United history. So MJ, do you have any, anything, anybody else you want to nominate? What
0: Johnny Steele.
1: What's that? <laughs> the one true captain.
0: Oh, <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, Johnny fucking Steele. No, fucking no, Steel. in all seriousness, in all seriousness, Christian was, was, was the one I thought of. Uh, just the nostalgic memories of of that bicycle kick, you know, amazing headers scoring against NASL opponents and then bringing that to MLS and scoring against MLS goalkeepers. He is way up there for me. But again, as you both have brought out, there's time and tenure with the team given time. Reynoso can easily exceed. And I agree with Ibsen as well, like phenomenal player. And I think Reynoso can exceed both Ramirez and Ibsen in a healthy year. He just, as Dan pointed out earlier, we had a Reynoso hole in our, in our offense. One, Heath never let Miguel Ibarra play that 10 spot like I wanted him to and move Darwin to the wing. That's water well under the bridge and out the Mississippi Delta by now. But trying to shoehorn Robin Lude or uh, Kevin Molino into that number 10 spot, it's like night and day. You know, they can do it, but they're just, the tight spaces, the vision, the technical ability on the ball, it's not to the same level. There's, you know, there's
1: an argument for Miguel de And actually, I think there's an argument for Miguel Ibarra and Christian Ramirez, only for their NA, their NASL tenure, like take away MOS because of the coaching change and everything. Like just their their NASL t- tenure, those guys were the face of the team, and Christian more so than Miguel, really embraced that and and you know put his face out there and really you know did the things they needed to do when Minnesota United was still you know still struggling to get people get fans into the, out to the Nessie. And so I think there's, you could make an argument for, if you want to make an argument for Rambara, um, you know, NASL, NASL version, and, you know, not include their uh, MLS 10 years, especially since Miguel Ibarra was sold to Lyon and then, you know, came back uh, before the MLS season. And, you know, Miguel Ibarra got the U.S. men's national team call up while he was with um, Minnesota, um, was the league MVP, had, you know, one of the most phenomenal single person seasons that there's been in a Minnesota United uniform. So there's a, I think you could, Miguel Barra should probably be part of that conversation as well. So cool. That was a fun exercise guys. Thanks for, thanks for indulging me in, in that. Uh, and our final question is Dan, is this your, is this your question?
2: Almost certainly.
1: Okay. Why don't you, why don't you lay it on us and, and, and talk us <laughs> through it?
2: Uh, all right. So we talked a little bit about the playoffs mostly on the Western conference side. Uh, so jumping really quick over to the Eastern Conference side, which was the bigger surprise to you guys, Atlanta United missing the playoffs entirely, or the fact that both expansion teams did make the playoffs?
0: Atlanta is not being in the playoffs is not a surprise. Considering their injuries and losing Julian Gressel, uh, not a surprise to me. But having uh, Inter-Miami, inner I mean, especially when you look at the way that the East has two play-in games to, I believe, compensate for the fact that this year, due to all the COVID and switching around, they have more teams on the East and they get more playoff spots or a couple playing play-in games. It's not surprising, though.
1: I will say, I, I, I think I tend to agree. I think Atlanta missing the playoffs. If you'd, told me, if you'd have asked me before the season started, I would say both expansion teams making the playoffs, for sure, uh, especially considering both expansion teams were in different conferences at the start of the season. Right. Um, which certainly, again, that's to your, to your point, MJ. And if you would, if you were looking at Atlanta's roster, even with Frank Boer, even with everything else, Joseph Martinez like pull, like wills that team to the playoffs, right? I, I think. Gressel, Gressel was obviously, I think, I think they sort of underestimated what Julian Gressel brings to that team. But I think Joseph Martinez just drags that team by his short and curlies to the playoffs. So it, before the season started, but after the season started, right after after COVID, even they say, say after the um, the tournament, because Atlanta had a, a pretty shitty tournament. I think you know I, I think you could see a um, you could have probably seen a path for both expansions. But again, I think still Atlanta missing the playoffs, which is not something that I think that anybody any supporter of soccer in the United States uh, or MLS would. See, because you like, oh well, you know, they will fire their coach, they'll figure it out. Maybe they get, you know, maybe they make a signing. Miami at that point looked like fucking hot garbage, right? They, I think, were the first team ever to lose five their first five matches,
2: longest um, losing streak in uh, MLS history. Just yeah, started, just started a, to start a was, franchise.
1: Yeah, to start a franchise. Uh, so even still, I think I would have said, yeah, Atlanta's going to figure it out. They're going to, they're going to do something. They're going, they're going to find a way to sneak in, especially, especially with ten teams in the Eastern Conference. So I think I've talked myself into Atlanta not making the playoffs is the biggest surprise.
0: I would agree with you on the timetable thing, David, that if you would have asked me this prior to any games being played, yes. But after the Joseph Martinez injury, how horrible they looked. I pity the fool who, who thought they, they should be in, yeah. be in the playoffs.
1: Sorry. I want to clarify. I was, I thought that expansion teams would be the bigger surprise. And I talked myself into
2: Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. I think the timetable is a, is a good point. I'm actually still going to go with both expansion teams making it just because this isn't something where the season started and okay. uh, Joseph Martinez gets hurt in week one, actually against Nashville uh, and the, the expansion teams looked really good. They, they, they didn't, and Nashville missed the entire MLS's back tournament because they had the for one of the first two COVID outbreaks, it was them in Dallas, and I forget who came first. They couldn't score for the first several games back from not back from the tournament after their regular season started. Miami has gone through stretches of just looking absolutely abysmal. Um, And then all of a sudden, Nashville figured out their identity. I think huge credit to their coaching staff. They're stout defensively, uh, which we sort of thought they were going to be. They've also dodged uh, around some injuries. Uh, And and Inter-Miami has, like, truly within the last week, or last maybe three weeks, figured out how to be a soccer team good Mm -hmm. enough to make the Eastern play in-game. And if you had given me odds a month ago, I still would have guessed that Atlanta would get just enough performance out of Adam, John. I literally can't name three other players on that team. That's hilarious Uh, to, to, to make it into the playoffs because I mean, they were, they were viable until decision day. Like they were, they still had a shot going into yesterday. So I think it's the fact that Nashville figured out their identity well enough to not just make the playoffs, but, Actually, look like a pretty decent team. Like they're certainly, they're not going to come out of the East.
0: They have get a, me.
1: they have a positive goal differential, <laughs> right? Because they don't concede. Yeah, they gave up the third fewest amount of. Walker
0: goals. Zimmerman and Dave Romney have been phenomenal in this. Uh, the yeah, tournament. and
1: Gary Gary Smith, uh, an MLS uh, Cup winning manager, they, they've they've only conceded twenty two. They've they've conceded the third fewest amount of goals in in the Eastern Conference. So.
2: I kind of can we dig into that for just one really quick second, because there was a lot of criticism of them bringing in Walker Zimmerman because they traded a shit ton of money to get him much the same way that Minnesota United was criticized for trading a shit ton of Tam, Gam, Garbucks, whatever, for Ike Opara. Ike Opara completely revolutionized Minnesota United's defense, gets Defender of the Year, pulls that team to the playoffs. Walker Zimmerman turns around and does the exact same thing in Nashville. And I think at this point we need to say, hey. If you trade a shit ton of money for a completely elite defender, that's probably good. That's probably a good thing for your club to do. Yeah. Now you can't throw it at Francisco Calvo or Demidov or whatever, but if there is somebody of that caliber that you think you can go and get, there is no amount of money that you shouldn't be spending to get them.
0: And yeah, that's a. a Dak McCarty looks fits right in with all of that.
2: Dak McCarty looks reborn. Yeah. Dax McCarty looks really good in a way he really didn't last year for Chicago. So full credit to Gary Smith and credit to, uh, to Inter Miami too, for getting Gonzalo Higuain. Like they've, they've spent an unholy amount of money and they spent enough of it correctly to get to the playoffs. I think they're going to get smoked in round one, but kudos.
1: <clears throat> yeah. By, by Nashville. As a matter of fact, they, uh Nashville and <laughs> Miami play in the, in the play-in game uh, for the Eastern conference uh, playoffs. So, they, you know, weirdly enough, I think Minnesota United and Nashville had very similar plans. Sort of build from, a, you know, create a, a, a stout back line, don't concede, try and figure out where you're going to get your goals from, but just don't concede. The problem was for Minnesota, it was Vadim Demidoff and Francisco Calvo, and it just blew up in your faces. <laughs> Whereas Nashville, went, like, like you said, when it got. Dax McCarty, Walker Zimmerman, got proven MLS defenders and guys who knew MLS and knew how to play here and said, we're, we're, we trust you to to lead this back line. So,
0: and Dave Romney, a subpar left back, unlike Cavill, moves left center back and looks fucking incredible.
2: He was a DP player for LA Galaxy, wasn't he? He was at one point, yeah that that was not a good spend but he's great at nashville but he should not have been a dp player no
1: so so weirdly i think they're trying i think you know they they had the same i want to say the same exactly i think the same general playbook um even down to you know an english uh former english mls manager um (laughs) gary smith certainly a lot more accomplished than adrian heath in mls that notwithstanding i think they had a, a similar playbook but just Every decision that Minnesota United made in that first season, especially on the back line, absolutely um, almost every decision, with the exception of Jerry Tayson, backfired on Minnesota United. Whereas Nashville hit on, say, 90% of their decisions that they made, particularly in, in, the, in the defensive area. Now, again, you, you need to eventually score goals. You can't – the playoffs are not like the you know, regular season where you can just you know get draws. You need to actually put at least one ball in the back of the net but if you keep the other team out, it gives you a hell of a lot more opportunities to, to do that. So, cool. All right, that was some good questions, guys. And we uh, may we'll have to try and figure out some, some more hypotheticals like that for, for next week when we don't really have a, a
2: game to talk about, so. Send them in. Yes. You you, you are intrepid listeners. Please don't make us come up with another set of questions.
1: <laughs> if you have any hypotheticals or, or, or uh, what ifs that you want us to talk about, now, now would be a really good time because we have basically two weeks where we don't have a game and then we'll, you know, obviously we'll preview the game before, but yeah, we have, we have a bit of time. Uh, speaking of that game, the playoff schedule was released today uh, amongst all the, all the team, team of the week news and everything. Colorado will come to Minnesota on November 22nd at 6:30 PM. That is uh Saturday is the the
0: match. Sunday,
1: Sunday, the 22nd. Yep. Um, so that'll be it. And that game is on ESPN. Uh, if you're not able to obviously we're not we're not going to have any fans in the stadium so it'll be on ESPN so if you have uh, ESPN plus in your VPN you're kind of screwed sign up for a free trial of one of the uh, OTT services for be signed up on like the 20th of November because then you can basically get the entire playoffs um, fubo's good fubo has uh, Univision and all that so so yeah t- November 22nd Sunday the 6:30 uh, on ESPN uh, as i mentioned molino uh was named player of the week and both molino and bebelo made the team of the week the first team um which was lined up weirdly enough in a 3-4-3 formation you don't know if any team in mls plays
2: in a 3-4-3
0: <laughs> formation so whatever but if you're in wsl or or bundesliga it happens all the time
1: yes it does it, that is that is true um all right and then finally for for the other united it was noted uh, earlier this weekend or last weekend that Kamara, uh, Metnir, Lude, and Grey Goose were all called in for international duty, uh, which means they're likely to miss the Colorado Rapids match in the playoff first round. Shit. Yeah, we're not one hundred percent sure because the you know the MLS is still trying to figure out. I think the last I heard they were going to make players quarantine for nine days when they come back from international duty. So that really kind of depends on how you know, how soon players come back for, from international duty. Uh, I know Greg Euse is playing uh, with Slovakia in an opportunity to get into the Euros in 2021. So that's going to be a really important game. I think that is the first game of their, of their international break. So it's possible that maybe he plays in that game and then they send him back to Minnesota, which would be really nice. Or that, you know, Kamara had actually originally retired from international duty last year. As a matter of fact, around this time, uh, he'd gotten into a, a bit of a, a kerfuffle with the with his the Sierra Leone manager. That guy's been replaced, and uh, a new guy's been brought in. And apparently, he and Kamara had a had some conversations, and Kai Kamara was invited back into the national team setup, and he accepted the call up. So he'll be playing for Sierra Leone. Uh, Romain Metnier obviously plays for Madagascar, and Robin Lud for Finland. So I think Finland has some. They have a Nations League. I'm not sure what Sierra Leone... Are they qualifying for AFCON?
2: Do you know? I think it's AFCON qualifying. Okay, yeah.
1: that makes sense. And unfortunately, I don't... I, Keith mentioned this in one of his uh, rants the other day, that he doesn't think that Colorado has any international call-ups. So Colorado will be particularly well-rested uh, for this first playoff game, which is why I don't think it's necessarily going to be uh, an easy match for us, so...
0: And uh, Colorado yeah. has... uh William Yarborough from Club León on on loan. Yes, that's their that's their keeper. Yes, correct. So was, that's a that's a huge step up from uh, it's not McMath anymore. Whoever their normal keeper is.
2: Right on. Yeah. Um. But Tim, Tim not, Howard. I forget who <laughs> their
1: keeper. Is. Uh, it was Tim Howard last year, I think, with McMath backing him up. And McMath is over at uh, RSL, oh, and he has not been getting not been yeah. getting minutes at all. So, um. All right, so that is the other United News. MJ, we have uh, we have some loon's birthdays to talk about, huh?
0: Yeah, instead of uh, once, once a loon, we'll just kind of combine this with uh, loon birthdays since November is popular month. Uh, happy belated to Minnesota Thunder Captain Jeremiah Bass. He's still in the Twin Cities doing financial analyst work. Yes. Uh, happy the late birthday to former loon Ismailia ish Jome, who uh, played a full 90 for Austin bold. It's not quite a full ninety because in the 90 plus stoppage time in it, he got subbed out, but, but uh, they won their final game two nil, no two one against uh, San Antonio because San Antonio did not have dancing and Claire goalkeeping for them.
1: Um, I have a, so when Anna and I got married, we had a, we got um, we got married at the uh, Nomad, but we actually before we went over to the Nomad to get uh, to do, to get you know get hitched and all that, we did a bunch of pictures and stuff at the State Fair, because um, it was right it was like the Labor Day weekend so it was the last weekend of the State Fair. My family loves the State Fair, and there's a picture uh, we went to the Minnesota United experience in the fan the Fan Sports HQ building or whatever that they have there. And this is back when um, this is 2016, right? So there's still it was NASL days. So they always had players there, and there was no line because you know about 20,000 people knew about the knew about Minnesota United. So there's so we walked in there, and uh, I think I can't remember who if I saw who I saw from the front. I saw somebody from the front office I knew, and uh, I was like, hey, yeah, we're getting married. Can we want to get a picture? You know, from the big United thing. And Ish Jome was there signing autographs and, and like get letting people take pictures of him. So. It's part of our wedding pictures. We have a picture of me and Anna in my suit and her wedding dress with uh, with jom Awesome! <laughs> Silent, fun little uh, Ish-Jom, uh tangent there. So, and then we went down the giant slide in our in our wedding gear with uh, with some of our family, which was which was fantastic. So, anyway, hey, you know, the it, tangent.
0: no worries. I mean, so Jeremiah Bass and Ish-Jom's birthday was November fourth. On November seventh. Is happy birthday to Ibsen, who is, I mentioned in a previous one saloon, playing in Brazil in Serie C uh, for uh, Tombense. He is actually the captain of Tombense. And does either of you know his full name? No, it's, it's way too long.
2: I know there's a da Silva in
0: there. Uh, nice, yeah. So da Silva, I believe is the the, the matriarchal, uh, yeah. It's Ibsen Beretta da Silva.
2: Damn it! Yeah. I knew it started with a B. I thought there was something after the da Silva. Shoot,
0: I think I could have gotten that. <laughs> and then also, uh, how, how on earth
2: did we not nickname him the Beretta?
0: Come <laughs> on! <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, That's 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 a that's a, a, yeah. a so much and,
0: better,
1: right? Yeah. If we get a time machine, we can go back and get that chant going.
2: That's, yeah, I got a one-off time machine. That's definitely what I'm using it for. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: this Thursday, Mitch Hildebrandt uh, is uh, is Mitch Hildebrandt's birthday. Fond memories of him being our backup goalkeeper and stepping in in a lot of open cup matches and doing some amazing things. Uh, having a really amazing, uh, before FC, Cincinnati got big and made it to MLS, Really good open cup run with them, stopping a lot of penalty kicks. Yes, lots of lots of great nostalgia with Mitch Hildebrandt. Do either of you know what he's doing right now? Hildebrandt, he is the goalkeeping coach for Sporks Two. No,
2: oh, see, nice. really,
0: yeah, for him. he's he is the goalkeeping coach for for Sporting Kansas City's uh, USL squad. Good for him. That wraps up uh, November birthdays for moons all right awesome
1: all right let's talk minneapolis city real quick um they have the annual meeting we mentioned last week on the podcast uh this coming wednesday it's gonna be on zoom Uh, i would just check out their twitter at uh mpls city sc if you're interested i'm sure they'll probably post a link to it there or you can sign up and, and get a get an email um if you want to join as a member so there will be a couple things that people vote on they always vote on the scarf uh every year the 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 you know if you want to get a chance to You know, participate in the in the some of the merch that city does. The member scarf is something that's always voted on by the members. There's gonna be a few other votes. You have to be a member if you want to do that. You can join as a member for sixty five dollars. You go to their their website and uh, buy one. If you're out of town, if you're not in the cities and you're not planning on making it to games, but you still want to be a part of it, fifty dollars is the membership fee. And actually, they they donate your ticket to uh, local youth. Uh, I can't remember exactly. There's a fund that they do it for, but there is you basically your t- your your ticket is donated to a youth group, and youth group is able to come and watch soccer for free.
0: So it's really cool. And then they made some more the more hires, right, MJ? Yeah. So they got two new assistant coaches. Eli Baker is going to be an assistant with the futures. He is a recent graduate of Augsburg College and played midfield, and then transferred to defense for Augsburg in their soccer program. And so he comes from a great local soccer program. uh, And with having played both midfield and defense, I think he's going to be a pretty good assistant coach. Uh, And then Kevin Lebon, he is an Augsburg assistant coach with the goalkeepers and the goalkeeper director for Tonka United SC on the youth academy side. And they picked up him as a assistant coach for Minneapolis City, too. All right. Um, I mentioned the Mean Machine podcast last week. Actually, we were
1: recording it this week. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Maybe Friday afternoon if I can get it uh, get it edited after that. So if you, more, you have basically one more week to watch uh, Mean Machine. Uh, again, it's, I think it's on Amazon Prime. And then the other thing I I, I just started, I'm throwing it out here because I want to talk I want to chat with you guys and then just throw it out to the, the listeners. I need a new Liga Emeki's team. My team uh, Morelia uh, up and left their uh, their squad their, their city and moved to Mazatlan, uh, changed their colors, changed their badge, became the Mazatlan something or another. I don't even care, fuck them, fighting uh, tourists. Yeah, fucking tourists, and so. <laughs> So I've been I've been in the I've been in the market now for a little while since basically the end of last year for a new league at Mekki's team. I didn't really wasn't watching too much of it because the I was watching using YouTube TV didn't have a ton of the um uh, Spanish channels. However, I just signed up again for fubo. Um, I had a, a, a basically almost a free month. And of course, they have BN, they have uh Te Udan, they have a bunch of the of soccer uh soccer in the South America and Central America. So um trying to get back into Liga MX, and the story behind my morelia fandom was i was literally at the goodwill and found a morelia jersey and it was like five dollars and so i was like fuck it i guess i'm gonna be a morelia fan i'm not necessarily in the in the market for you know going out to random stores and rifling through shirts right now you know considering why? the state of the world <laughs> um, i don't
2: understand why <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: so uh so yeah so i need a new i need a new league MX team I've, there, I've there's been some very compelling overtures about club america from uh, a, f- a friend and i just i if you guys have any any thoughts on that or, or you know listeners if you have any thoughts please
0: um uh, lay them on me please everyone s- david's account or the the dave's know account with yeah recommendations at Texas,
1: for... at Texas or, or, or at tdikmn uh if you want to explain why i should become a fan of your of your league team i'm i uh go
2: ahead as the lifelong fan of pumas uh for the incredibly uh erudite and considered reason of they have consistently fucking excellent kits uh let me highly recommend uh Pumas because you're not the only
1: person you're not the only person who suggested Pumas because of that reason so
2: so I suspect the other person came along at about the same time I did they have they have a very cool logo it really lends itself to good kit work uh but I wanted I think it was 2014 for a major club celebration they did a kit based on the Aztec library seal that was legitimately one of the coolest kits of the last like 10 years
1: who who makes their kit you know,
2: I, I have to assume it's Puma. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. And I actually <laughs> don't fair. think it's Puma. It's,
1: oh, I think it's Nike actually.
0: Opportunity lost.
2: Yeah. That's such a, that's such a missed opportunity for, uh, for Puma.
0: Oh, those like, are. Seriously.
2: If there's, if there's one club that you're going to go, go do kits for.
0: Okay.
2: MJ, do you have any thoughts?
0: Well, of course, I would love to see you join me on, on Cruz Azul. I I know that cheering for teams that wear blue is not really something you do though. So I just throw out the, the former Miguel Ibarra and current William Yarbrough when he's not on loan to Colorado uh, spot of, of Club León. I mean, they're, they're in first place. They have us player connections and you know, why not? Go with a team that you've seen play in the Metrodome, or sorry, Target Field.
1: Yeah, I did. I did briefly uh, flirt with Club León before I settled on Morelia. Morelia, just again, the the jersey fell into my lap, and I, I had to, I had to pull the trigger on it. So maybe I went
0: like for Club León over, let's say, Atlas. You know. Yeah, so maybe of, I can the
1: United if friendly. If I can find a Miguel Ibarra Club León jersey, maybe I, maybe I do have to jump on the Club León bandwagon again. again so. All right. Well, if you are listening to this podcast and you have a suggestion, um, I don't care. I actually like, again, I bought a fucking uh, shirt at a Goodwill and became a fan of that team. And literally it was like what was going to the Black Heart, requesting matches at 9 p.m. Like on a Saturday night, like while the drag show was going on, I was like sit, sitting up by the pool table watching, <laughs> watching Morelia while the drag show was going on. Because, I, you know, I was I got invested. So if you have any reason whatsoever, by all means, uh, hit us up uh hit me up at texas or you can you can tag the uh the podcast at tdikmn on twitter too so all right well guys we did it i think we did another one another two hours so fucking a
2: holla they we're said it couldn't this. be done
1: this is only episode 170 and, we're, and we're, we're finally getting good at it so i'm i'm very excited so please uh rate and review of the podcast wherever wherever you listen to podcast uh five stars davezano.com uh, patreon.com slash know again I'm gonna be posting a video, a couple videos from the Patreon. Christian sent me some videos of the the beer in its in its current stage. So I think I'm gonna be posting those on the Patreon here uh, either tomorrow or Wednesday. Again, at TDIKMN on Twitter, I'm at Texas Zeller, Dan's at D Wade, MJ at MJ Bill is at Bill underscore Maguire. We're gonna get that fucker back on the podcast sometime soon. Thanks everybody for listening. We have a good day as you know. This was day I Don't try and work it out because we
0: Do nothing at all. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, yeah. uh, we do our thing, son. Long as you do yours, land here, become fee, yeah. con. Uh, yeah. We do our thing, son. Through the act we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we do our thing. Do it. We do our things do do we do our thing, son Someone paint a piece, someone spray with a machine gun It's mad work to be done We, we, we do our uh, thing, son. Uh, son, son I can't do nothing, nothing. at all Yeah, I know we can't He's do nothing, nothing at all uh-huh. <laughs> Nah, yeah. I, can't yeah. yeah, yeah, man, man, I, I can't do nothing at all I can't do nothing at all not Check
1: not it out, that yeah. GT He don't do nothing at all a G-O do at all. Uh-huh. My
0: guy, King He don't do nothing at all The mass line you, you gave yourself one grace week or two?
2: Just the one. And I wasn't gonna do it at all. And then Gretchen was like, uh, you do realize you can take a vacation between jobs, right? And I was like, I can